Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open up to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. It's our key scripture for this morning. At the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing this letter to a church, and he starts out by saying how fond he is of them, and then he leaps right into what they're doing wrong. And then he gives uh, this particular passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, I could preach just from this right now. There is quite a bit here. And it speaks to the wisdom of God and the core truth of who God is and what he has done. But at least for me, it is not what Paul says about God that really catches my attention. It is what Paul says about us. There are a myriad of reasons why people will choose to not believe in God. Why they just can't do it, why they just can't make that step, what they cannot accept. And in each case, people weigh what they think they know about God, themselves, the world, against their own thoughts and beliefs. And in most of these cases, if we find there is a conflict between what the Bible tells us God wants and how we see the world, we will choose our own point of view. This is a fact. There are always going to be people who believe that they are too smart, too advanced, or too evolved to need any sort of God figure. They are going to argue that the God of the Bible simply doesn't make sense. They will argue these various things, that God cannot be true because he does not seem to be true to them. There has been nothing in their experience that has pointed to a God. And you can't tell me that he's true if I don't feel like he's true. So they will shed the idea of God because they don't want some sort of made-up, infinite being telling them what to do. Maybe they will reject the need for God because there is nothing in their opinion that they need to be saved from. 
I am a good person. I live a good life. What do I need this for? The answer, they will say, is not some mystic being, but it's our own ability to pull ourselves up and figure this life out. No one's going to help us if we don't help ourselves. So let's get up and figure this out. And this loving and involved and sacrificed God is unnecessary. If God does exist, he is either uh, too free-formed to have any sort of definitive sense of who he is, or he is more totalitarian and even cruel than we have made him out to be, and I don't want either of those things. All of those things, at least for me, point to one very specific thing. We are more comfortable when we are calling the shots, making the decisions, and doing what we think makes sense. We call that intelligence, our smarts. I have looked at this, I have evaluated this, this is the right path, and this is what I will do. And if God does not fit into our definition of good sense, then we will find or create something else that does. Our own manifesto. A God that makes, or thinks I should say, just like we do. According to Paul, there is a word for this. That word is foolishness. But Paul is telling us something important besides the fact that we have a tendency to be fools. And it's this. God's ways are, in fact, not the ways of this world. They aren't. God's ways are very, very different than the ways of this world. His wisdom does not match with our so-called intelligence. Therefore, there will always be tension. There will always be those who believe that God does not matter and never has. The cross of Jesus Christ, which I have heard about since the time I was born, does not make sense at the level of worldly intelligence. It is counter to what we would call normal, smart, prudent, or wise. Some may never overcome that hurdle, the otherness of the way that God thinks and acts in this world, but that is for one main reason. They do not believe they need God for anything, and therefore God is irrelevant. For as Paul said, the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And this finally takes us to the heart of the matter. There are those in this world, you see, who know that they need God. And there are those who do not know they need God. God, Jesus, the cross, all of those things are foolishness to those who do not think they need God. The Savior. But, no matter what you believe about God, no matter how goofy you think the idea is, no matter how weird his decisions may be, whatever anyone thinks about God, he does not cease to be. He does not cease to be. No matter how many people tell you he is not, he still is. You don't seem as excited about that as you should be. So the question that lies in front of us this morning is a pretty complex one. We can be smart. We can be smart. But can we stop being fools? So today uh, is the last Sunday of our How to Think Like a Christian campaign. Uh, I hope that you have enjoyed this study. It has been hijacked a couple of times by some small life events that some of you have experienced. Um, but we have plowed through. 
So I, I hope that you have enjoyed it. Um, and, and just as a um, just sort of an advertisement for some things that will be coming, there is going to be a more in-depth class in this next year that is going to go even further into um, the ideas that we have covered uh, over these past uh, six or seven weeks. So I want you to be thinking about that, and if that's something that you're interested in, we will have, again, more uh, information about that in 2018, which did you know, fun fact for the morning, 2018 is in less than two months. Does that seem weird? Seems strange. Seems strange to me. Uh, so today is the last day of our campaign. Now, the purpose wa uh, of this whole exercise um, was to help us to understand how God wants us to see the world and to make sure that our Christian worldview, um, the way that God is, is uh, instructing us, informing us, is not being uh, influenced by other ideas that are not from God. So to help us explore... Uh, this concept, we looked at five different worldviews that all have different approaches to how we should see the world. Um, Marxism, which says that the world's problems come from our social structures, and the answer is to tear down those social structures, and that's when we'll all be uh, happy. Secularism, uh, which says that this world is all there is, and that humanity is the top of that thing. So achievement, personal achievement, and, and reaching higher as people is, is what it's all about. Uh, new spirituality, which says that we need to plug into the energy of the universe, and that by putting out positive energy, we get positive back. When things are going wrong, it's because we are disconnected from the universe as a whole, and we need to seek unity with everything. Postmodernism, which says that there is no such thing as universal truth. We all get to decide what is true for us. And lastly, Islam, which says that if you are not Muslim, you are in open rebellion against a God who can do what he pleases and demands your absolute devotion. So I don't know what you have discovered, which of these you found most interesting or influential in your own uh, life. I think from our small group, at least, we found that there was probably more bleed over between new spirituality and Christianity than there was maybe in, in any other um, uh, worldview that we faced. But each of these different worldviews, and this is important for us to note, um, have, each of them have points that make sense on a level. Okay, uh, it's, it's not like... It, it is all just incoherent rambling, because if it were all just incoherent rambling, we would be very easily able to see what is right and what is wrong. Um, but each of them have points that make sense. So you may not buy the whole thing, but this was the point of our exercise here. It's not about necessarily whether you buy the whole thing. It's whether you are allowing these voices to change parts of what God has told us to do. So you're allowing them to have a voice in these different elements. And here is the danger that we need to consider. We need to be careful that the elements that sound true don't actually influence us to live in a way that is different than the way that God wants us to live. Just to put it as simply as possible. No matter how good it sounds, if it is contrary to what God says, then it is something we need to avoid and not adopt into our lifestyle. We need to be able then to tell the difference between what God says and what he has not said. So as we come to the end of this particular study, there is one more huge question to ask. Um, all the questions have been important. But this question is perhaps the most significant for you to walk out of this door, these doors, and, and make a difference in the lives of people around you. The answer to this question is that significant. And the question is this, is God relevant? Is God relevant? Now, this is a huge question. Um, it's a question of whether or not God matters on the surface. But more than that, it is a question of whether or not there is a valid reason for anyone to believe in God anymore. Is God relevant? Does he matter to our culture today? If God is not relevant, 
It means that there is no reason for him to have any part in our society, in our world, in anything that's going on. There is no need that God fills. There is no purpose in following him. That is what irrelevance means. It no longer has a form or function within this world. Going back uh, to what we read earlier from 1 Corinthians, for the message of the cross is what? Foolishness. Foolishness to those who are perishing. We want to speak into this gap. So I ask you the question, is God relevant? And everyone says what? Yes, Yes, because we are at church. (laughs) And the answer is either God, Jesus, or in this case, yes. God is relevant. God matters now. He will always matter. But here's the problem with that. Okay? The problem with that is, as Christians, we are always ready, and in fact, trigger happy, to say, yes, God is relevant. But we are, what we are often not ready for is the follow-up question. Why or how is God relevant? That's where we start to sweat heavily, right? Our heart starts to beat too fast. And I have to give the right answer. What do I say? How do I say it? What if this person is smarter than I am? What if they know things I don't know? What am I going to do? And the worst part, and we've talked about this before, so I'm sorry to bring it up again, but what if I say the wrong thing? And because of me, this person never believes in Jesus. Is God relevant? Yes. Is, well, then why is he relevant? Um, I have to go over here for a minute if you'll just, right? It's, that's the question. Why is God relevant? Something we have seen throughout this campaign, which will help us in this discussion, is that everyone, okay, so keep this in mind. Everyone, and I mean everyone, on the face of the planet, no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what conclusions they have come to, they have all asked themselves these questions, and they are all probably continuing to ask these questions. Am I loved? Why do I hurt? Does my life have meaning? Why can't we have peace? And is there hope for the world? And here is the simple thing I want you to hear this morning. It is in the answer that God gives to these questions that you can tell people why he is still relevant. Why he still matters. So think about it this way. You don't have to come up with some sort of new method to explain why Christianity matters. You don't have to come up with some advanced flowchart that you can write out on a dry erase board to tell people. You don't have to have numbers. You don't have to have any of those things. You just have to be able to answer those five questions. Am I loved? Why do I hurt? Does my life have meaning? Why can't we have peace? Is there hope for the world? Here is what Christianity says to everyone. To everyone, not just the chosen, not even to just those who are currently believers. These answers to these questions that God gives are answers for everyone. For everyone. Whether they believe it or not is irrelevant at this moment. Whether they want to believe it or not is irrelevant at this moment. Because these answers are true for everyone. Am I loved? And the answer that God gives is undeniably yes. You are loved. But what? No, there are no buts. There are no what ifs. There are no special circumstances. God says you are loved. And we talked about this. God's love is fundamentally different from our kind of love. Our kind of love is by nature conditional. Right? We have lines that we expect people that love us not to cross. Even in our closest relationships with our children and our marriages, with our parents, all those things, 
We have lines, and if someone violates those lines, then love can be withdrawn. But to put it simply, God's love is different, and God's love is the real deal. And it's the real deal, and it's different for this reason. God's love, by nature, is selfless and not selfish. It is not thinking of itself. It is thinking of us. And listen... People in the world desperately want to know and experience this kind of love. How many people do you know, including yourself, have spent a huge portion of their life looking for acceptance from other people? Looking for it to be okay to be whatever they are. Looking for some sort of validation from the world around them. We all know those people because we are those people. We want to be validated. We want to be known. We want to be to someone to say to us, this is what you are. And so understand this. When we say that God loves differently than us, everyone wants deep down in their hearts to be loved in the way that only God can love them. Period. There is no exception to this. We read from 1 Corinthians when we went over this passage. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up there. And I'll just read it here for you this morning. And this is how he described the love of God. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but, have, but, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Because he's telling us what? All the good things in your life that you can do do not matter. I hate to say this, this feels so strong, but it's true. It does not matter if love is absent from all of those things. That is how significant love is in this world. And then he goes on. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. What Paul is describing here is God's love for us. This is God's love for us. It is what real love is, and God is the only place anyone can find it. It cannot be found anywhere else. Oh, people will try. We've all tried. People will try to find a different answer, a different way, something that will fill this part in their lives. But God is the only place because God provides an unconditional love, and it only exists in him and through him. And God's love doesn't require us to perform or look a certain way to earn his acceptance. There is no perfect standard to measure up to. God's love for us is unconditional based not on our performance, but on Christ's sacrifice for our behalf. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are saved, it is the glory of of God. Number two, why do I hurt? And in particular, this is probably the more relevant question. I'm going to use that word a lot this morning, apparently. When will this hurt end? When will it be over? And God says into this space, you will overcome your hurt. And this, I think, I mean, love is a distinguishing thing, and, and, and we've been there, but this is another place where Christianity really distinguishes itself, where the message of God really sets everything apart. And, and it's, it's the ground floor here. Okay, so some things we need to understand again and remember. One, 
God never promised us that our life would be without trouble. Okay, we need to remember that. Because we often consider God to be the one who should keep trouble from happening to us. But we live in a world where there is trouble. Where things are going to go wrong. Jesus was talking to his disciples about all the things that were going to happen to them when he left. And listen to what he says from John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know what one of the best things about being a child is you know, one of the best, I, there's a lot of good things about it can we just recognize for a moment kids have a sweet deal <laughs> in general yeah I know that there are homes that are not loving but in a loving home in a loving home you know what the best thing about being a child is you don't have to worry about anything where your next meal is going to come from, if someone will be there for you. I mean, think about this. In real time, a child falls and someone immediately picks them up. In real time. That is what happens. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We are children of God. And we fall in real time. And in real time, God picks us up. That word overcome there, if you remember this, um, is the word nikeo in Greek, as in the Greek goddess of victory. And it doesn't just mean winning, it means, I love this again, outlasting the enemy in a way that deprives it of its power to harm. Hurt doesn't win. It cannot harm you anymore. It has been met on the battlefield and disarmed of its ability to rob you of what matters. And it's not that things are perfect, but it's that whatever it is that is trying to keep you down, wherever it is that you keep failing, whatever hardships are coming up in your life, God has overcome those things. And through his power, you can overcome those things as well. Because Jesus overcomes, we become what? Overcomers. Because Jesus is a conqueror, we become more than conquerors through him. And it all comes back to this point. Why? How? God, through his love, we are loved, chose to redeem and this is what I, it's one of my favorite things about God. Is that God's superpower is taken what is messed up, broken, junky, and discarded and making it into something new. No matter what it is. No matter what has happened to it. No matter what experience it has gone through. God makes this choice. So guess what? You will overcome your hurt. It does not define you. You are redeemed and made new through Jesus Christ. Number three. Your life has meaning. But what am I about? What am I, when will I ever find who I'm going? Your life has meaning. And it doesn't have meaning tomorrow. It has meaning now. Right here in this place, your life has meaning. And in fact, through God, your life has more meaning than you even understand or appreciate. Like, you have the best possible meaning and purpose that anyone could ever have. We are called by Jesus to live a meaningful life. And it is this call that Jesus gives to us that removes the possibility of our lives being pointless. We are called to live lives for him and like him, which means that we are not just living to fulfill some deep-seated need within ourselves. 
We are living to make a difference for God in this world. And we pour ourselves into other people, into the changing lives of others. We find a purpose that is wholly different than any other purpose we could receive. And the reason why this fills us in such a different way is that when we are loving like God loves, when we are pouring ourselves into other people, we are being who God created us to be. We are being who God created us to be. You know what? People can search their entire lifetime for the thing that they can do that makes them feel the most like who they are. You know what I'm talking about? They can search their entire lifetime for that thing. That thing that they can do that will make them feel like this is who I am. But here's what God says. Being my child and living with me, that is who you are. It just is. That is just who you are. And that is who you need to be. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says... We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And here's something interesting that we actually didn't go into last time. So you're getting some new info uh, this morning. Now wake up. You can go back to sleep in a minute. The word call is based on the Greek word kaleo, which means to be summoned. Uh, Sometimes kaleo is translated as vocation. Um, Though we often think of vocation as a job, it's a lot more than that. Uh, Vocation is actually a sense of calling. When you have a vocation, you're not just going to a job. You are fulfilling your meaning in life. A vocation means that we are doing what we are meant to do. It is an extension of who we are. And that is what we are called to. We know that in all things... We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This calling secures who we are. A calling from God harmonizes who we are with what we ought to do. It completes our identities. And calling leads us into the places where we should go and where we should be. And we talked about this a little bit last time that, you know, a lot of you had the experience after the fires of being able to help people. Some of you came and went to our distribution, which we got to distribute a whole lot of stuff yesterday, which is awesome. But this is something that has been happening in Sonoma County over the last month, right? Is that people are beginning to take care of other people. And do you know how it feels? Good. It feels good. Think about that for a second. We spend so much of our lives staring at ourselves and making sure that everything is right in this little two square foot space, right? Everything's okay here. Everything's okay. And we go through something that's awful and what happens? We are forced to look up and we are forced to care for those around us. And guess how it feels? It feels good. It feels better than when I'm taking care of this space helping people and doing those things. You know why? Because God loves us and God is calling us to love others. And when we act in this way, we are fulfilling what God has called us to do. Next one, number four. You can have peace. God desires for us to have peace, but we live in a world that escalates conflict. Um, I was... Looking through, I I have this Apple News app. I've told you about this before. I get sort of addicted to it at times where I just flip through things all day long. And I came up to um, an editorial, an opinion piece from a certain conservative news station publisher. And the title was, um, you know, it says, Opinion, Why, Why We Need to Go Back to God. And I thought this will be interesting. So I, I read it, and it was, it was a lot like things I've read before, um, 
we need to go back to our Judeo-Christian ethics. We need to do this and we need to do that and we need to have all these things. But then they did something and this is where they totally lost me. They politicized God. So God, um, this is why we have issues with health care and gun control. This is why we have issues with this and that. This is why people want this because they're not. And somehow this person was trying to tie God in with everything they thought and believed. And it just didn't work for me. It, it, it didn't work for me. And I think it gets back to what we're talking about here is that we can have peace. Our tendency, church, even with God, is to make God a dividing point. Well, do you think the same way I do? About everything. I mean, sometimes doesn't it seem that we look for the dividing point? I know it's there somewhere. I know where the flaw is hiding. If I can just find it, then everything will be okay. But understand this, and this when we talk about, keep, about peace, God desires us to have peace, and he wants us to go against our tendency to seek out conflict. The word that we find uh, that characterizes this in the Bible is the word shalom. And there are lots of things that shalom does, but we're going to look at uh, a couple of ideas here. Um, the first thing is Shalom acknowledges that the conflict inside is inside of us and not just out there. That we are the ones who are looking for trouble. And it challenges us, this piece challenges us to find ourselves responsible and not just put the blame on other people. Uh, secondly, this piece focuses on giving rather than taking. From Romans chapter 12, starting verse 9. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And this is the way of the one who follows Christ. This is the way of the one who calls Jesus their Lord. Instead of going in and being rowdy and causing conflict in these places, they are going to go so far as to bless those who are being awful to them. And again, this is not that, uh, may the Lord show you the error of your ways. Blessing, right? This is not that. This is, I am actually going to seek to make your life better, even though you are standing opposed to me at this moment. If this is the kind of peace that God is calling Christianity to, then Christianity has widely missed the mark. By miles. We are to bless those even those who oppose us. And here's what the peace of God says. You stop looking around and waiting for everyone else to change and make your life more peaceful. You become a peacemaker. You make peace. And it all starts from you, from who you are and what you do. So yes, through God, you can have peace. A peace that is different than anything you can find in this world. And lastly, there is always hope. We talked about this last week, so we're not going to go too far into this, but I want to read from Romans chapter 5 again. Because it's, it does such a good job of, of taking us down this road. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Listen, church. Why is the hope of God different than hope we can find anywhere else? Well, let's look back at some of the answers we've given already. Are we loved? Yes. Very much so. Will we overcome our hurt? Yes. Because Jesus is an overcomer and makes us an overcomers. Does our life have meaning? Yes. Because we have this reason to go out and change the lives of other people and to live this way. Can we have peace? Yes. Not by waiting for everyone else to change, but by having God change our hearts inside of us. Is there hope? You betcha, big shooter. There is. Because of all of those things we just said, God saved us while we were as far away from him as we could get. As far away from him as we could get. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't stop being sinners. And then he died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means, what? Which means what? There is always hope. There's always hope because God has already overcome. And no matter how we fail or mess up in our lives, we can always return to God. Always. And he is always waiting for us. Always. There is always hope. Now, Here is where I think we have, as Christians, have sometimes made a mistake. All those things I've just told you are not new things to you. None of them are. I mean, I might say them in a slightly different way than you've heard them before, or I'm certainly telling them in a more charming way than you've ever heard before. But I am almost 41 years old. And I am, I have heard these things since birth. Yeah, I've heard these, none of these things are new to me. None of these things are new. Maybe they're not new to you either. So here's the problem. I mean, some of you've heard these in the last six weeks if you've been here. We have heard these different things so many times that we who know Jesus Christ have forgotten what they mean. We have forgotten what they mean. Maybe it's because we have lost touch with our own need. We have forgotten what it was like to be unloved. You know what? Maybe you've never experienced being unloved. Maybe you have never had love taken from you. Maybe you've never had that feeling of failure. Maybe you've always known who you are and never had to question those things. But because we have heard these messages so much, we have lost touch with our own need for these things. And when we have forgotten our own need, we will not recognize the need for God in others. We will walk by them every day without ever bringing God up. Because we have forgotten. And so someone says, is God relevant? And we say, yes. And they said, well, then why should I believe in him? And we say, um, uh, 
Let me go call Bryce just a second. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me pull out my Google machine. Don't I? Here's, well, let me, give, let me give you a couple of suggestions. Number one, if someone asks, if you get into the actual discussion of whether God is relevant, um, they already think they know the answer to that question. Okay? So they are ready to discuss with you why God is not relevant. And you're going to feel intimidated because people who have given things that much thought are not just going to take a knee because you say God loves them. So, where does it all start? God loves you. How is it different? Well, let me tell you how it's different. Because God loves me. And let me tell you a little something about me. You are loved by God because I'm loved by God. You will overcome your hurt because I have been able to overcome my hurt. You have meaning because I have meaning. See? The most powerful answers to these questions are not going to be what you can prove to someone about whether the ark ever existed or if there ever was, you know, the, whatever thing you want to bring up. It's not going to be those things. It's going to be you connecting with how God has changed your life. It's going to be you telling your story. Because here's the thing that we in this room need to grasp with both hands and perhaps our toes as well. There is nowhere else Nowhere that people can get these kinds of answers. They're not going to find them. They're not going to find them anywhere else. And you need to believe that. You need to believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that there is nowhere else that people can find these kinds of answers to those questions. People will choose to reject God for all the reasons we've discussed. But we cannot forget that though people may reject God, it doesn't mean they don't need him. It doesn't mean that. Just because God, someone says God is irrelevant, it doesn't mean he's irrelevant. It just means they don't know yet. Or they've rejected him outright. And there's nothing that maybe you can do about that. But we as those who are followers of Jesus Christ have to believe that God matters in every day, in every moment, in every decision, in every breath, that God matters and that he matters to everyone else as well. They just don't know it yet. We who know the love and grace of God through Jesus Christ have an obligation to not only speak to the relevance of God, but to live our lives like we still believe God matters. And I have to believe that if we live the truth of all of these answers in our own lives, if we share these answers, then the lives of others will be changed. Think about this. Through you, someone may experience the love of God for the first time. Through you, someone may be able to overcome a hurt because you spoke God's presence into that place. Through you, someone may find what their life is finally about and stop searching. Think about that. That is what you have to offer. And we can all give those things because we have found it in Jesus Christ. And we should be unafraid of that. Douglas Copeland is a novelist who popularized the term Generation X and he is a self-proclaimed, cynical, angry, narcissistic, broken person. And listen to what he said at the uh, end of one of his books. Now here is my secret. 
I tell it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt I shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you are in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is that I need God. That I am sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem to be capable of giving. To help me be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness. To help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. Those words are from someone who does not believe in God. Still. And yet there is something inside of him that recognizes what? There is only one answer to these questions. Church, there is only one answer to these questions. There is only one. You know why? Because God is relevant. There is still a need for him. There always will be a need for him. And as we who have recognized our own need, we go into the world and we share with everyone else how God can meet their deepest needs. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time we've had together. Thank you for the way that you speak to us through your word. Father, may you help us to identify with these things again, these the answers to these questions that you give us, that we are loved so, so deeply, that we can overcome our hurts, that our life has a meaning we could not imagine on our own, that we have a peace that we could not get on our own without you, and that there is always, always hope. Father, may we be convinced of that for ourselves and as we dig deeper into the heart of who you are, and your love for us, God, may we be more convinced every day that you still matter to this world. And may we take you to the places where you are not. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, uh, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.